You're listening to a message from Christian Life Ministries in Coventry, a dynamic, growing church in the heart of the nation. We pray that God will speak to you through this word and impact your life for His glory. It's hard to follow such incredible time in the presence of God. Um, It's so great to be opening the Word of God for you this morning. Uh, My name's Luke. If you don't know who I am, I'm part of the team here at CLM. I spend a lot of my time with the young people of the house and those that have newly arrived. So if you are newly arrived, make sure you come and say hello. Uh, I'd love to uh, connect with you. Um, We are in week five of our James series. So I want you to turn to a neighbor, give them a pat on the back and say, well done, you've made it to week five. Yes. For those that have just rocked up, you got a well done for no reason. <laughs> no, I'm joking. It's so great to see you. Uh, whether you've been here for all five weeks or not, it's so good that you're here. Um, I would encourage you, if you have missed out on the weeks previous, that you can catch up on the podcast. Um, it's been incredible. Who has found James challenging? Anybody. If you have not, I'm not sure what translation you're reading from. But that is fine. You're not alone. James unpicks our lives verse by verse. And um, before I get into this, actually, I need to say, is there any Liverpool fans in the house? Yeah, that was a a whoop. I was expecting to cry. Um, I am also a Liverpool fan. And um, so we're going to do an article here later on for those that are (laughs) for healing. Uh, Yeah, it was a sad night as a Liverpool fan, but it's okay. We got defeated in the Champions League final last night. Um, But it's all right. If you're feeling bad, just know that you're not Karius. So it's all right. Sorry. Enough football jokes. So we're going to jump into James 4, but before we do that, I want us to just acknowledge a few things about James. Firstly, the thing about James is he's a bit different to Paul, okay? Um, Not in his theology. His theology is very much the same, but the way in which he communicates himself is different. So for example, Paul, he will talk for verses and verses about how incredible Christ is, how incredible what Jesus has done and won for us on the cross. And then he will say, therefore, in view of this, do this. And he'll talk about something to do with our behavior or how we live. But James, you might think as we read this, man, he's just talking about our behavior. Like he, d- he barely even talks about Jesus. Like what's going on here, James? But James, right from the offset, in James 1.1, as Pastor Martin shared with us the other week, James, he positions himself as a servant of Jesus Christ. And I want us to have this in our minds as we explore James 4 today, that If you are positioned with Christ as your Lord, this is going to start to make some sense. It's still going to be difficult, but it will make sense. Because we can know and come before God as one who has ransomed us, one who has freed us, and one that has paid with us for a a price. And, And if Jesus isn't Lord today, some of what I'm going to talk about is just going to sound like rules, 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 or do this and don't do that. But I, I hope that within the midst of that, that you catch a glimpse of God's heart for you today. His heart is f- so for you. And, and James, he had caught that. That is the only reason he can talk about behavior. That is the only reason he can talk about conduct. Because he knew he had been justified and saved and set free. And he says, therefore, live in this way. Live in this way. And secondly, an essential truth that we've seen throughout James, the reason that this series is called Faith That Works is because faith looks like something. Our faith isn't just something that is quiet and hidden away, but our faith is going to impact in the way that we live our lives. 
People are going to see it and they are going to notice. In chapter 3, Pastor Martin mentioned and talking about a heavenly wisdom and an earthly wisdom. And heavenly wisdom is not just primarily knowing the truth. It's not just knowing your word. Being able to recite to me the whole of Genesis. That would be impressive, but... It's not just about information, but true wisdom is knowing the truth and living the truth. It's about catching something and doing something. Being doers of the word, that's why Dr. John Andrews shared that faith has a face. It looks like something. And I encourage us as we listen, don't just listen and think, okay, nice. But as we journey through this, think, God, how do you want me to live differently? What is this going to look like in my Monday to Friday? Because that is the challenge of James in this. He wants us to look at Christ, see our freedom, see our liberty, and say, Jesus, I want to live for you. How can I better glorify you? So with that, we're going to turn to James 4. If you've got your Bibles, please turn there with me or your devices. There is a lot to cover, so if you can keep it open, whatever you are using as well, so that you can stay with me, that would be great. Let's jump right in. It says this. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think that Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? But he gives us more grace. That is why Scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against brother or sister or judges them, speaks against the law, and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy, but you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money, while you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good that they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your incredible word. Lord, and we know that it's a challenge to us because the world will scream something so, so different. But Lord, I pray that we would hear your still small voice in this place today. May you find receptive hearts to your word, Lord. I pray, anoint my lips as I communicate your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. There's a lot going on there, right? 
chapter 4, there is a lot going on. You know, he's, he begins, he's talking about church at war, like Big Brother House version of the church. And he's going into that. He goes in, talking about killing, like what's going on there? And, and then he talks about friendship with the world means you're an enemy of God. Then he talks about humbling yourself and the, the proud people being put down by God and those that humble themselves being exalted A kingdom value flips upside down and he says, again, if it weren't enough in chapter 3, don't talk bad about one another. Don't judge one another. Then he talks about your tomorrow and he says, if you plan in this way without God at the center, it's evil. Wow. And then if it weren't enough, you know, just to end on a soft note, if anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Wow. Strong words, James. So we've got a lot going on here in James 4, but the truth I want us to catch today from James 4 is this. You are called to humbly follow Jesus in every area of your life to submit your way to his way. You are called to humbly follow Jesus in every area of your life, in your relationships with one another, in your relationships with him, in your promise of the future We humbly follow his way. That is why today I've called the message, if you're taking note, a faith that follows. A faith that follows. If we capture this from James 4, there is a reason, church, it's called following Jesus. If you proclaim that you are a Christian today, it means that I am a follower of Christ. And that is saying that I submit every right I ever had to lead. My life is under the lordship of Jesus. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter if you're a doctor. It doesn't matter if you're high in leadership somewhere. It doesn't matter if you earn 10,000 pounds a year or a million pounds a year. As soon as you say, I'm a follower of Jesus, you say, Lord, I submit my right to lead. I follow you. Lord, I submit my way to your way, what I think to be right to how you think, to your higher way. And James, he caught this. You know, just to exemplify how much he caught this in the depths of his humility before God, um, in my readings, I discovered that James had a nickname in the early church. No, it weren't a cool nickname, which is why I'm smiling. His nickname was Old Camel Knees. Wow. Anyone else nickname that? Didn't think so. Maybe it sounded cool in the Greek, um, but it doesn't sound that great here. But the reason he was called Old Camel Knees, church tradition states, is because his knees were so calloused from years and years of prayer, from getting on his knees before God, humbling himself and saying, God, I am nothing and you are everything. I need you in this. Wow, the man that writes these words, knees so calloused because he spent years before the Father seeking his will. Seeking his heart. And I want us to catch something of that this morning. How incredible if we, like James, can have a faith that follows humbly. So how does James describe a faith that follows? What does it look like? We're going to work through the verses in James and see how it looks. So firstly, a faith that follows puts us before me. Everyone say, puts us before me. You guys sound good. So James begins chapter 4, up to the middle of verse 2, talking about Christian relationships gone wrong. He's talking about the church here. And this isn't like some letters that are just to one church. We establish in James 1.1 1, 1, 
that James is speaking to many scattered groups of Christians. And it's worrying that he still has to talk about this. And it's even more worrying the languages, the language, sorry, that he used. That's what makes his choice of words so, so strong here. He talks about fights and quarrels, desires that battle. You do not have, so you kill. Wow, that's deep. And scholars have decidedly said that James does not mean actual killings. But he uses the language of war to strike with force and horror just how awful it is for the church to be divided. He's using this language of kill and battles and war because he wants us to look at that and think, what's going on there? He wants us to catch God's heart that when there is disunity amongst the people, God's heart breaks. When there is quarreling between a Christian brother and sister, God's heart breaks. And some of us, really, we need to catch that this morning. We need to catch that. It's not easy. Where heard someone say once, where there is people, there is problems. Very true. Is church full of perfect people? No. It's a hospital for broken people coming and professing they need Jesus. So of course there's going to be issues. There is going to be things going on. People are going to be hard work. They're going to say something that you don't like. But James is saying, guys, this cannot be for the church. Does this mean that all conflict is wrong? No. There will be disagreements and they can be dealt with maturely and in a godly way. Healthy relationships will have some conflict. But here, James is talking about quarrels that behind it lies a cause, a heart condition. James talks about this being rooted in our self-pleasures, our ambition, desires and wants. You read it there, verses 1 and 2. And I want to qualify this in saying that sometimes there will be some conflicts in our lives going on where you have tried all you can. And the behavior of another continues to cause deep pain around you. That could be in your family, that could be in your church or wider places. And, and Paul makes it really clear in Romans 12, 18. He says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And as soon as I start talking about conflict, you know, we might think of conflicts in our own mind. Our mind will jump straight to the other person. Like, it's their fault. And relationships are complex, but I want us to look at ourselves for a moment. So we're going to Zoom in on ourselves and look at the heart of the problem, which is our heart. A self-centered heart, a spirit of self-interest, basically saying, me, me, me. And so at the heart of this, I've identified three questions that we'll be trying to answer if we've got me at the center, something we shouldn't have. So the first question is, how can I be number one? How can I be number one? Now, I'm very competitive, so I get this, okay? My brother is four years of age, but when a board game comes out, that is it, man. Like, he is no longer four. Has anyone ever played double? Like, he's so good at double, it's annoying. Um, and it's embarrassing getting beaten by a four-year-old. So I understand the feeling of wanting to come out and be number one, but we have to ask ourselves, is this true in situations that we're involved in? A determination to say, I want to win. I want to come out first, no matter the cost. I'm going to be number one. Secondly, what's in it for me? What can I get out of this? How can I gain? Thirdly, very similar, how can I get what I want? 
And if you think about your current situations, maybe in some of your interactions and engagements with people in the way that you've behaved, you're being driven by some of those questions. You wanted to find the answer to them, like, how can I be better than you? That's what it can come down to. How can I come out on top? How can I look good in this moment or in this situation? They are things driven by selfish ambition. And it's hard, I understand. The Bible makes it clear that actually those questions are our default. But when the Spirit of God lives inside of us, there is a different way. And he calls us to a higher way. The Jesus way is that the last shall be first. That the least shall be the greatest. That those that humble themselves will be exalted. I often call it the upside down kingdom because that's the kingdom of God. He calls us to ask questions of not how can I be number one, but what can I give? How can I serve? How can Jesus be more greatly glorified in and through my life? They are tough questions because that means I don't get to put myself there, in the middle. The world no longer revolves around Luke. So, so sad. But that's a faith that follows church. It's hard to swallow because we want to be in the middle. But once we step out, we leave room. Jesus, take your rightful place. The world does not revolve around you, church. And that's tough to take. James is talking about conflicts that rage in the body of believers in the church because someone stands in the way of your personal gratification. Like, I can't get what I want out the way. And that's what he's talking about. And though the Greek in many translations translate verse 1, instead of fights, it talks about wars. And to help us crystallize this even more, I was thinking about what sort of wars we might be involved in, in our congregation. So firstly, we're going to hop through history. We've got the Vietnam War. Wow. Takes me back to year 12 history. Now, I've mentioned this because Vietnam was the first armchair war. Now, that basically meant that Americans in the 60s and 70s could sit at home and watch their country at war. It was documented at home. And I talk about this because I think one of the symptoms of fighting and quarrels in the church is not necessarily that you're involved, but you take great joy in watching others in conflict. Where you sit and you think, oh, thank God it is not me today. It is someone else arguing. Or you go home and you love to discuss what's going on. Who's at arms with one another? Who's at loggerheads? There's something within us that loves and revels when other people are arguing. I'm being very real here. Is that okay? It's tough. We like to sit and watch. Oh, haha, look at those guys. Did you, over lunch, we love to talk about it, don't we? Did you see those guys today? Did you see how that mom spoke to a boy? Awful. Horrendous, weren't it? Horrendous. Leads me to the next one. War of the Roses. And in this, I'm talking about family feuds. This was a 15th century war. I'm not going to bore you with all the details. Called the War of the Roses because it was two houses. House of York, House of Lancaster, represented each by a rose. But basically, these guys descended from the same family. I don't know if it was because, like, the English people were just crazy then, like, but they always fought each other, especially if they were related. Like, uncles always killing people. You always hear about uncles killing people in English history. But I talk about this because so often 
When I talk about fights and quarrels, you might think outside of your biological family. But the truth is, you might be sat here with your family today, and you've kind of detached church family, my family. And so you're like, hey, church family, get home. Like, I hate you guys. But God calls us on to more. He says, I, I want to see they, to be unity in your household because they might be your mom, dad, auntie, uncle, brother, sister, son, or daughter, but they're your brother and sister in Christ as well. The Jesus in me sees the Jesus in you, and I want to love that. I want to love that no matter how hard it is. This is one of the hardest because we see how real. We see the real us at home, don't we? When your shoes are off, when you're, oh, oh, thank God that's over. But he calls us, even at home, when no one else sees, when your pastor's not around, to live in a place of unity. The third one is the Cold War. I think this is going to hit the most. (laughs) I've called this Tension Central. And um, the Cold War between the superpowers of the USSR and the USA Basically, there was a few little scraps that happened, but really, it was a whole lot of propaganda and a whole lot of tension. And some of us, we're not in like out-and-out squabbles. You know, when we talk about fighting squabbles, it's like, that's not me. But really, your life is lived under a whole lot of tension with somebody else in the house. You live walking like trying to avoid that person because something happened seven years ago and you're still not speaking. Or you're walking and, and you think, oh, I don't want to speak to that person today because I hate every time I have to speak to them. That's tension. That is not how we're called to live. That is not what God wants to see of his beautiful bride. And that is a tough call, church, but that is a faith that follows. The final one here is a cyber war. Couldn't think of a cooler name. Sounds pretty weird when I say it. Pastor Martin, in speaking of taming of the tongue last week, He spoke of taming the thumbs, taming the thumbs, talking about our use online. And if you're over 40, taming the forefinger. You got me. You guys know. I know. I'm sorry. Sorry, Auntie Mary. A whole lot of our squirrels and... Squirrels? What is that? (laughs) Our quarrels and our fighting is happening online now, right? And in very subtle ways as well. You know, I'm just going to leave that friend request, not for a week, two weeks, for a year. Hmm, how'd you like me now? Or just a sly and nasty comment on Instagram like, looking great with a certain emoji that you know is going to rile them up. Or just a cheeky unfollow. Oh, wait till they see that one. (laughs) That's going to bite. Or maybe it's just, it's a sarcastic text. Or you drop a bomb in the group chat and leave. Oh, You know, and I say it jokingly, but there's so many things that happen online that are a lot more sinister. Where there's a lot of darkness, it harbors a lot of darkness. And we get to see faith that has a face in our online use. Church, we've got to be loving, we've got to be kind on our phones. We cannot detach the two. We've got to be salt and light in that place too. You might think you're a long way from wars and so feel that James isn't getting to you, but he addresses all sorts of squabbles and issues rooted in our selfishness and in our pride. That is not the way of a faith that follows church. 
if it weren't enough, he doesn't stop there. Verse 11 and 12. He again talks about talking bad of our brother and sister, judging one another. Verses 11 and 12 have plain meaning that God, as judge, is the only one with the power to settle final and eternal judgment. The only one is righteous to judge, to condemn and destroy. He had the right, but instead of condemning and destroying, he chose to bring us life, life in its fullness. And yet we, we sit in judgment of that law that commands love and we say, no God, it should be to criticize. But that is not the way. A faith that follows said, God, I submit to your way. God, you chose in in your righteousness to judge us worthy of your love. And I'm going to look at my brothers and sisters and I'm going to choose that they are worthy too. Not because I am the one righteous to judge, but because you have called me to love them. By this, they will know that you are my disciples. Jesus speaking. If you love one another. Church, if we are going to be known as his church, as the bride of Jesus Christ, then we need to love one another. We need to watch how we speak. We need to watch my judgment of others. I love this from Alex Moitier, who wrote a commentary on James. He's been my best friend for the last week. If we are really low before God, we have no altitude left from which to talk down to people. When we are low before God, we can't look down at anyone. Because the only place you're looking is right up at your Savior. And you're thinking, God, you're so graceful, you're so kind. And you look around you and all you can see is other people doing the same. But if we think we are in the place of judge, we will always be looking down upon our brothers and sisters. If you want this more comprehensively, if you go back to Pastor Esther's message two weeks ago, she talks about which seat are you sitting in? Incredible concept. We are called not to be the judge. There is only one judge, and that is our God. We, in fact, sit in the judgment seat. But church, good news. He sees us in the seat of judgment, and he says, I'm going to give my son for you, that you can know life, that you don't have to know death and darkness. That is the faith that follows if we follow that example too. Clothe yourself with kindness, church. And in a really practical way, if we can have the next slide, please. Something that's running throughout the month of June as a young adults initiative is Kind 30. 30 acts of kindness for 30 days. To be love and salt and light to the people around us, whether in the church or outside of the church. We can get on board with this. It's great. Something really practical to help us love one another. Despite talking about issues of public disagreement, public quarrels, and public tension, a clear biblical principle is that our public problems have private issues. They're they're rooted in something that's going on privately. And the truth is, church, as James make really clear here, Our horizontal relationships, our relationships with people are actually a reflection of our vertical relationship. Our relationship with God, our relationship with God is going to impact how we live and how we love other people. So, secondly, a faith that follows pursues proximity. Pursues proximity. We need to draw near to him, church, 
if we are going to follow Jesus, we cannot follow at a distance. So a few things to pull out from the text. Firstly, in verses 4 and 5, we see that God desires proximity. James calls his listeners an adulterous people, really, really strong words. But literally, the meaning there is clear. The Bible has a common theme that he has chosen a bride in his church. He has chosen a people that he is going to love and call out like a doting husband. And James is saying, you have a loving husband in God and you have turned away from him. You have turned your back on him and you have flirted with the world. You've become a friend of the world. But we can see and infer in that that we have a husband that loves us in God. Someone who longs to be near and with us. Then we get to verse 5. And if we read it in the NIV, James is referring to God's jealousy for his people. God desires his people to be holy and unreservedly his. That's a, that's a big mandate on us. We've got God like a husband who jealously longs for us. And I don't know about you, but I know I've been unfaithful. I know that it's hard to continuously walk with God. The fact that God is jealous for me fills me with the greatest joy, but also I feel like, oh God, that's a pressure. That's a way or a call I don't think I can respond to. But thank God, we read in verse 6, but he gives us more grace. He gives us more grace. Church, his grace grants us proximity. He sets the demand and his grace allows us to meet it. James is reminding us that God's grace is completely adequate to meet the demands set upon us. He calls us on to hire and he says, here you go, here's a helping hand. Church, God's grace doesn't just save us, it calls us on for more. It sustains us, it sanctifies us, it walks and gets us up every single day because he desires proximity with his people and his grace grants it. He wants us to draw close and he allows us to draw close. Hebrews 4.16, I, I think of this whenever I come to worship God. It says, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We can approach him with confidence, not because we are good, but because he is good. We can approach him with confidence because what Jesus has won for us on the cross, his reconciling work to bring us close to our Father. So what does proximity look like? We begin in verse 7 with submit. Submit yourselves then to God. Now you might use and think of the word submit as in giving to an enemy or something that's not good. But the Greek here infers instead of, instead of active allegiance. They would use this as a Greek soldier signing up to fight for his king. Submit then, God means, Jesus, I'm on your side. I want to fight with you. I want to fight for you, knowing that you are with me. Submit to him. Proximity first begins in the humble posture of saying, Jesus, I am yours. Church, that's where it begins, saying, I am yours. Now, the order here is interested. Make sure you follow along. Only then, after we've submitted, does James say, resist the devil. 
Church, there is nothing more that gets the devil's attention than a life submitted. Thank you. Little did I know it's going to be one of those preachers that needs one of these. <laughs> That's good, man. Thank you. I'm going to have to get a towel or a cloth. In fact, I've got one before Lee noticed. <laughs> Where was I? We're called to submit to God first, and then he says resist because there's nothing that gets the devil's attention like a life submitted to him. Because the devil says, I don't want you on God's side. I want you to be a friend of the world. I want you to be a liege to my army. But we say, no, no, no. I fight for my king because he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He has ransomed me and won me at a price, and I fight for him. I stand with him, no one else. That is where my allegiance lies. And as we say that, as we stand, submit to the king, good news again. We resist the devil, and where does the devil go? He runs. He is gone because the truth is, church, we serve a victorious king. We sing, Jesus, you are greater, not because it sounds nice, because it's true. Jesus, you are greater than all, greater than my sickness, greater than my despair, greater than my depression. Jesus, you are greater. The devil has no place here. Colossians 2 tells us that Jesus triumphed on the cross. Does death look like a posture of triumph? No, it doesn't. But the word of God tells us that was victory as his blood was shed. The thing about this though, church, is that some of us stop here. We can become consumed by fighting the flesh and resisting the devil. It's not merely enough to resist the devil. We become consumed with our sin. It's not merely enough to think, just because I'm not giving in to this temptation, I'm doing good. In fact, if that's the case and we stop there, the devil's won. Why? Because we are not just called to resist the devil, but he says, come near to God. People of God, don't just stop there. At the heart of this, there is a thought and an attitude that kind of asks this culture that is so prevalent that asks the question, how far can I go? Especially in youth, I get this a lot, like how far is too far? Like what can I do that's not going to be too bad that I can get away with? Church, that's not the question that we should ask. The question of a faith that follows is, how close can I get? Ephesians 5.10 tells us, find out what is pleasing to God. Find out what is pleasing to Him. Do not toe the line of morality because you will fall off. If I walked along the edge of the stage for long enough, I would fall. Jesus says, don't ask that question, how close can you get? It's not just about resisting the devil, but come near to God. Pursue proximity with your king because that's what Jesus has granted us. He allows us to come close to our father. Fellowship with God is not just something we drift into. A faith that follows actively pursues him. The order, again, is really interesting in the scriptures. It says, come near to God, a command, and he will come near to you, a promise. But so often we want it the other way around. We're like, God, come near to me and I'll come near to you. God's like, no, 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 no. Read what it says. The command is come near to him. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and praise. 
Come near to your God each and every day. Come near to him. I know it's not easy, but the promise is he will come near to you. We have a God that desires proximity with his people if only we're willing to go. If only we're willing to go. A faith that follows pursues proximity. It's not just enough to try and live a good life. That's not what it means to be a Christian. Yes, God calls us to be a holy people, but that comes from a relationship with him. That comes from proximity with him. The final portion of this, in verses 9 to 10, I have some very strong words again. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. And these verses, they talk about repentance. They talk about taking sin seriously. A faith that follows doesn't laugh in the face of sin. It doesn't just take it lightly. A faith that follows says, God, I want to be like you, and you are holy, and you call me to be a holy people. You call us to be a holy people. But again, there's such great joy in these verses as well. Because we might find this odd coming at the end of the sequence, submit, resist, come near, and repent. But some of us have got it the other way around. We think, you know what? I need to be perfect before I get to God. I can't come near to God until I've sorted and got my whole life in check. But you notice how repentance is at the end of this because it's only when we come near to God, He comes near to us, do we see how holy and how worthy He is. And we see how unworthy we are, but he says, come on, son and daughter, I call you on to more. You stand in my presence because of Jesus, my son, and I have counted you worthy of my love. I have counted you worthy. How incredible is that? Church, if you are feeling distant from God, if you are feeling like there is sin that is stopping you from coming to God, you can deal with that before him, but do not let the lie of the enemy Come and say that you are condemned because that is not him. That is not the truth of Jesus Christ. He come and he tore and bore all of our sin and shame. And we can know that. We can live in that if only we come near. Yes, repentance is true and good and a part of a humble heart and a faith that follows, but we have to get it right. We have to get a right order. If you keep running from God because of your sin, you're never going to get near. You're never going to be good enough. But he says, come near to me today. We're going to work this out together. We're going to do this together. I want to be so close to my Savior. I want to be so near in proximity that when the wind and the waves come, I, I know he's right there. I want to be so close to my Savior that when the world shouts at me to do one thing, I can hear his still small voice. I want to be so close to my Savior that I can hold his hand in the darkest moments of my, my life and know that there is joy and fullness of joy in his presence forevermore. That is what proximity brings church. And that is what he calls us to. The final point before I close is that a faith that follows prioritizes his purpose. Now, each one of these could be a separate series in itself. So I hope you can catch something in this. And, and if something's really resonated in your heart, I encourage you to go home and look at it some more. But a faith that follows puts his purpose before our own. Verses 13 to 14 in chapter 4 speak of boasting tomorrow. 
James talks of those who boast where they will go, what they will do, how long they are there for, the outcome of their time. And he says what you are doing is evil. Is that because making plans is evil? No. Does that mean I always have to say now if the Lord wills? No. But James is not trying to destroy planning. Instead, he is addressing a posture of the heart and thought and attitude that says, I am in control of my own life. I am master of my own ship. I will do as I please. Again, he is talking about a selfish heart. It's a posture that says, here are my plans. Bless them instead of processing them with God. It's the same attitude that causes us to live for God on a Sunday, but the rest is mine. It's a posture that says, stay out of my week, God. Stay out of my relationships, God. Stay out of my business, God. But you can have a Sunday. I'll sing some nice songs there. But church, that is not a faith that follows. We acknowledge that God is everything and we are nothing. James hits this stark reality in verse 14. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. And as I draw to a close, let me invite the rest of the band up. What is your life? You know, as I think of this, I wanted to use this picture to illustrate for us to think about as we go into our week. Now, you might not see fully there, but that is actually the top of the Burj Khalifa in Dubai, the tallest building in the world, the pinnacle of what man can build currently. That's the highest we've got. Behind it is a supermoon, and this picture was taken in 2014. And that supermoon, that is one of God's smallest, one of his least. And it so overshadows one of humanity's greatest, one of its biggest. And church, as we prioritize his purpose, as we think about a faith that follows, I want you to have this image in your mind and think, my God is so much greater. My God is so much bigger. Do not try and determine where your future is headed because guys, we, we can't even get the weather right. But trust your plans with the Lord. Trust Him in all of your ways and He will make your path straight. Acknowledge Him for He is King and He is worthy. He is so much higher. He is so much greater. His ways are so far above our own. Follow that church. Trust an unknown future to a known God. Don't let yourself be gripped with anxiety of tomorrow. Instead, say, Lord, I submit that to you. Trust the promise of Matthew 6, that as you seek his kingdom and his righteousness, seek his purpose, all things shall be added unto you. You don't have to worry about the rest. Just seek him first. Seek his kingdom. Submit yourselves to his way and plan for your future you will find the greatest of joy in that place no matter the circumstance. James calls us, church, to a faith that follows here in chapter four, to choose God's way over our own, to say instead of pride, Lord, let it be humility. A faith that follows chooses to say, I will not bow to my pride or selfish ambition. I will choose us, the collective, over myself. A faith that follows pursues proximity because it's not enough to just resist temptation, but you want to get close to God. You want to get close to your King. 
And finally, a faith that follows puts his purpose above our own because when we prioritize his purpose, there will be life brought there. There will be hope brought there. You will find the greatest of joy no matter where you go because you are walking with him and his plan and in his purpose. I'm going to invite us to stand all across this place as we draw to an end. I know it's been very warm, so thank you for staying awake and paying attention, but let's not miss this moment. Let's not miss this moment. The band are going to lead us in a moment in the declaration that I've decided to follow him. I've decided to follow Jesus, and it's more, he is more than enough. And for some of us, our response might be that we need to reconcile our differences with someone else in the house. It might be we need to go out of here and talk to someone and say, actually, I'm sorry. I'm sorry in this. I'm sorry that I've put me before us. For some of us, we might have been walking so distant from God. Take this opportunity to press in and say, God, I come close to you again. Jesus, I've walked for too long, too far away from you. I am a follower of you and I want to get close. And maybe for some of us, it's surrendering our future, our ambitions at the foot of the cross again. For some of you, especially young people, you could be at a crossroads in your life and you're grappling with where to go. Submit and surrender your future to him again. He will not fail you. He will not fail you. He will not shortchange you. Hallelujah. Let me pray for us as we come to an end. Father, we come before you with such gratitude. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you are a worthy king. We thank you that your promise to us is that as we come near to you, God, you will come near to us. Thank you that you desire to be with us. And Lord, we ask in this moment, may you come close to your people. May you find a people that are desperate and hungry for you. May this be a church full of people that say no to their pride, no to their ambition and say, yes, I want a faith that follows Jesus. No matter where he takes me, I want to follow. Lord, search our hearts in this place. We love you, Lord. It is all for your glory. Amen. 